I've got a friend. I've made a friend. Maybe there's nothing wrong with me and I'm just a normal human being. <laughs> Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy. This is Steve Walsh. Hello. 132 episodes ago, South London Hardcore launched with an episode about South London sitcoms, Only Fools and Horses, Desmonds, and Up the Elephant Around the Castle. And we're returning to the genre. Today we're talking about Lucky Fella, the 1976 David Jason vehicle that lasted 13 episodes, and Peep Show set and shot on the fringes of South London in Croydon. On the 4th of October, South London Hardcore is live at Elefest. We'll be appearing at Long Wave, which is in the artworks, the pile of shipping containers on Elephant Road. 7 o'clock, free entry. We'll take you on a tour around the Elephant Castle without leaving your seats. Describing the buildings, the history, the people that have passed through that roundabout as it is for the moment. No need to get tickets in advance. Come along 7 o'clock, October the 4th, and check lfs.org for more great events. When you're in Kathy, you know, when, you, when you're married, you know, maybe, you know, I could come round and see you sometime. Me and Kath, ma- you think I'd marry her? You must be joking. I wouldn't marry her with triple green shield stamps. <laughs> oh, Part of the reason we talked about sitcoms in episode one was to address things like Only Fools and Horses which other people talking about South London seem to almost want to avoid didn't they? In the early South London hardcore episodes you can hear a lot of references to a podcast called Here Be Angels (laughs) (laughs) and uh, I'm loathed to go on about it again but their opening episode they made it was a podcast by I think a guy who worked for the BBC. He certainly was like a professional radio guy, wasn't he? Much like ourselves. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he did a podcast about East Dulwich and Peckham, and he made a point in the first episode of referring to only fools and all horses, but refusing to even give it a name. Yeah, refusing to acknowledge that it's significant in Peckham, whereas you know, growing up in South London, it was massively significant, and it was you know, uh, brilliant to sort of see occasionally, but often hear Peckham mentioned on television. And the same with, with Desmond's, less so about the elephant around the castle. So yeah, go to com and uh, you'll find the first episode if you go in the episode guide. Not on iTunes at the moment, I think there's a li- you can only have about 100 episodes on iTunes, but all the episodes are free. If you want to listen to anything, sort of episodes 1 to 30, whatever it is, go to com. So it's interesting to have a look at Lucky Fella, which is a sitcom set in South London, starring David Jason, about two brothers who live with an elderly relative that drive a novelty vehicle, and one of them is a wide boy, and the other one's a bit of a dipstick, <laughs> to use Del Boy's own parlance. Do we have to, but of course, a, have to put an explicit tag on this <laughs> But of course, the the twist with Lucky Fella is David Jason plays Rodney. Essentially, well, yeah. not Rodney. He plays uh... Shorty Mepstead, and his brother is Randolph Mepstead. But 
Uh, they call him Randy, which gives you a sort of idea of the the broad nature of the comedy we're going to be discussing tonight. It's not uh, Frasier, is it? <laughs> Two brothers living with an elderly relative. The complete series will be released on DVD on the 22nd of September. There are three episodes on YouTube and Vimeo currently, which we've embedded on SavlonHardcore.com if you want to watch them. So that's what we'll be talking about. We won't have the whole series uh, as an overview. Apparently you can go to the BFI, or you don't need to now, but you could go to the (laughs) BFI to watch the pilot if you want in their archive. But I mean, if if you're that desperate, do buy the DVD. Go to SavlonHardcore.com. There's an Amazon bar up there. And if you're going to buy it, use that and we'll get a little kickback. And please sign up for an Amazon Prime trial. You can cancel it immediately if you want, but it's the easiest and most efficient way for us to fund the show. Of course, if you do watch it on DVD rather than watching the episodes on YouTube, you won't have the little tracking uh, indicator from the, the v, uh, VHS video that is obviously taped from off the telly. More exciting than that, though, Steve. <laughs> that wasn't exciting. <laughs> even more exciting than that is at the beginning you get someone holding up like a sort of a clapperboard yeah. type thing, but it's quite a contraption, isn't it? It's like a blackboard with like a clock stuck to it. <laughs> but they've literally just like glued a clock yeah. that they bought from a shop onto this bit of plywood. But it says on there, Kent House, uh, yeah. which is the studio where it was filmed. And I thought maybe that was around your way. You yeah, know, Kent House. I thought that as well. But yeah, it's, yeah. Not. it's not. It's the yeah. name of the LWT studio um, in Waterloo. So shot in South London, up on the South Bank but set, of course, in Lewisham. And shot a fair bit around uh, Lewisham as well. I found um, one website where a woman was talking. <laughs> I did as well, about she was in Broccoli. And yeah, she, she was bringing... Jetson drive past the house. In a bubble car. She was bringing her baby back from... Her newborn baby back from hospital. <laughs> and uh, she spotted David Jason on Arabin Road in Broccoli. Memorable day. We've obviously done the same Google search, too. <laughs> found the same five references to Lucky Fella on uh, the internet. So the premise of Lucky Fella is essentially Shorty Mepstead, played by David Jason, is in love with a woman who's in love with his brother. So the series starts with him wooing her, her rejecting him for the brother, sleeping with the brother. And as I said, we haven't seen all the episodes, but apparently the brother gets her pregnant, but she knows she doesn't have a chance him. But if she can bed... Shorty Mepstead before the baby comes along she can convince him that he's the dad and live happily ever after it's quite a sad state of affairs mm. um, so every episode is essentially the two of them trying to get it on but things get between them including like a farmer and his wife in one episode <laughs> one bizarre quite sad episode yeah I think we could probably do a quick episode guide of the ones we've seen. Yeah, yeah. So we've seen episodes 2, 9 and 12. Uh, episode 2, they go to a Chinese restaurant. The episode's called All the Tea in China. Right. Again, giving you an idea of how... Yeah, it's quite... Of, of the um, shows covered in Saffron sitcoms, Saffron Hawkeye episode 1, it's most like Up the Elephant Around the Castle, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, very much. A similar time as well, isn't it? Yeah, and it's... Uh, Racism, yeah, yeah, yeah. just uh, they just mine it. Burt Quark is just a plain comedy oriental man. They say uh, flied lice, 
Yeah. Like it's a thing. And then they make Burke Hawk say it, man. Yeah. It's quite... It's a funny thing, you know, it's something I think we talked about um, with Lakeisha on the show before about the portrayal of, of sort of ethnic minorities on television and how, you know, I suppose similarly in the way that people would sort of say, oh, we were glad to see races depicted on television, good or bad, just because at least they knew we existed. I suppose the, the thing for Burke Hawk is I've got rent to pay. Yeah, I mean, of course it is. The yeah. only the only role I'm going to get is terrible roles. But what am I supposed to do? I can't, you know, single handedly. So you just have to do it in the same way as um, that fellow who's in Forty Towers playing the Irish builder, who just turns up playing comedy Irishman yeah. across. Well, the episode 70s. episode nine when is it? Um, Say Jeffrey, yeah, yeah, just doing the same thing, just being like a comedy Pakistani. Yeah, I think it's from India, but yeah. That's what I've written in my notes, so I'm sticking with it. I mean, in, in the, the Chinese restaurant episode, um, Randy comes into the restaurant and sees Shorty and his uh, girlfriend having a meal and uh, dis- decides he wants to have some food as well. So he shouts at the back, Oi Kung Fu. And then when Burke Kwok comes out and starts talking to him, he says, No, 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 none of that inscrutable chat. And you're like, oh, God, yeah, the people would say, oh, yeah, mm. it's just very unfortunate. Episode 12, there's no ethnic minorities. No, it's um, bumpkins instead, and it? It's people outside of London, and therefore a bit slower than uh, your sharp London folk. I mean, the whole thing, the whole sort of feel of it for me came across as very sort of broad, you know, seaside postcards, yeah. isn't it? That sort of thing. Yeah, it's just farce and innuendo, yeah, isn't exactly, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot. Of, yeah, exactly. A lot of things being said, and like obviously, there's a, a rabid studio audience who just anything where they're like, it could be a reference to Genitalia. <laughs> they're, they're falling out of their chairs. Yeah, they're when just he, slapping the floor. When he orders prawns balls. Yeah, I mean that is not funny, is it? No, but it is when the girl says, uh, "Oh, do they?" And then at that point, everyone's <laughs> just gone. <laughs> um, and you know, similarly. Uh, in episode nine with Saeed Jaffrey. Saeed Jaffrey's role is the owner of a laundrette where, and it's really, it, it seems like a bit of a stretch. The laundrette starts to flood mm. really slowly, but they're all trapped or something. Yeah, it's just foam everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's like something from like a children's program, isn't yeah, it, at that point? Yeah, yeah. It's very sort of, yeah, tis was or, you know, rent-a-ghost, that sort of scene you expect to see. What's but, rent-a-ghost? Uh, that was a, a kids comedy uh, about uh, a group of ghost ghouls and poltergeists that could be hired to sort of scare people out of their houses and stuff. All right, exactly as it says. Yeah, <laughs> as you'd imagine. But yeah, like the foam and like you know they're sort of like struggling to pull the door open. They're like, oh, the water's like got the door pushed closed. You know, it just hasn't. It's a foot high. We both love good slapstick. Yeah. But this stuff is just like there's no. there's a there's a bit where David Jason has uh he's got his hands bandaged up. Yeah. And he's trying to do various things yeah, and yeah. it's just it just goes on and on. I think this is the this is uh part of the setup with the whole the whole thing. It just it got, comes across a bit like a play. Yeah. Where it's just these really, really long scenes in one location. You you think it's more it's there's almost like they're playing for the live studio audience rather yeah. than people watching at home. If you're talking about things of the time, you can also talk about Rising Dad. You can talk about Dad's Army. But the difference there is the script and performance is stronger. Having said that, David Jason is 
brilliant. He is good yeah. as a performer. Like his his reactions, his responses, even the slapstick. He does it incredibly well. You can just see straight away he is just a, such a remarkably gifted comic actor. But I don't think the the material is is worthy of him. To be honest with you. No, it's not strong, is it? There's a lot of talking in circles. It does seem mm. like, as you say, they get into a location and there's there's a, a scenario and they just circle that scenario. Like the, with the Chinese restaurant, it's the date. So there's like, you know, exchanges between him and the girl, but nothing really substantial, nothing with any sort of momentum that moves anything forward. It's just them saying lines of dialogue to one another. And in the laundrette, similarly, we're, in, we're stuck, we're stuck. Okay, we get it. And then with the, the farmer and his wife... It's all about the nature of relationships. But I think that the was the best of the three. You know, it's got the kind of... Uh... But again, Prunella Scales is a, a good cameo. And mm. again, she's got, you know, she's got chops in it. Did you pick up on the lucky mentions that are like peppered throughout the episodes? Uh, well, I mean, there's a the second episode ends with him looking almost... Does he look at the camera and go, he declares, I'm a lucky, lucky fella. Yeah. I picked up on that. Right. You got that one, yeah? Yeah, in um, the second one, uh, the second one we watched, which was episode nine, the I think the last line again might be where they they survive the flooded laundrette, <laughs> and there's a policeman outside, and uh, the policeman looks at him and says, uh, "You're lucky to be alive." And it was like I was like, "Oh, is this how it ever, there's like a sign off?" Uh, but then by episode twelve, I don't think they're bothering that anymore. There's just a bit where um, he's walking through the farmhouse. And David Jason makes a point of saying frantically, repeatedly, I am a lucky fella. That is the thing, I am a lucky fella. I think he even repeats it. And you're just sort of like, oh, right. You're just not even trying to, you know, slide in at this point. You're just shoehorning the phrase lucky fella. Again, I don't know if you spotted this in your research, but there was going to be what would turn out to be a significant cameo in the pilot. Because essentially the pilot was reshot for episode two. And in episode two um, at the Chinese restaurant, Randy turns up to interrupt Shorty's date, but brings his friend Sylvester along. Uh, and in the pilot, Sylvester was played by Sylvester McCoy, who would go on to be Doctor Who. Never heard of him. you never heard of Sylvester McCoy? Nah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Doctor Who, Steve. No, no, but... Colin Baker. Right. Tom Baker. Yep. Paul McGann. Yep. You can name Paul McGann, you can't name uh, Sylvester McCoy. He's from Wolfland and Lion, isn't he? <laughs> in terms of Doctor Who's, he did like one movie and a, a special. It's fine. I'm not even a massive Doctor Who fan. Anyway, um, it would have been um, a future Doctor Who as their drunk friend. He's got to have done a better job than the guy who got the part in episode two, who just played. I mean, for, for David Jason, who does an incredible co- uh, comedy drunk, it must have been embarrassing just like watching this guy reeling round and then occasionally stiffing up. It was just like, yeah. Horrible, clumsy performance. Another thing that is weak, especially when you contrast it with Only Fools and Horses, is the production design. Yeah. Like you think of that flat in Only Fools and Horses, it's just so rich in it. Yeah, you can yeah. see the wallpaper and the furniture, you know, the layout. Well, but also, like sometimes they'd refer to like Russian VCRs and they'd be stacked over there, but a lot of the time it was almost like Easter eggs. You'd just sort of look over and just sort of see. Because it'd always be different piles of tat. Of course, that was the nature of the thing. But it would always be interesting to just sort of see, you go, oh, microwaves probably don't work. Whereas in this, you've got a restaurant and they're the only people in there. And they are the only people in there. They are the only people in there. They sort of like, 
they reference that as a sort of like, oh, quiet here tonight. But you do get the feeling it's like, why would we pay 15 people? Yeah, to, it just uh, looks like it just makes it look super low budget. And I know it is shot on a soundstage. And, and it's not that Only Falls and Horses doesn't look like it's shot on a stage, but you know, it transcends that, doesn't it? Yeah, Whereas yeah. with this, it's just every set. And I don't know if you read this, Steve, but another uh, Only Falls and Horses link, apparently, one of the other nine episodes, someone falls through a bar. Apparently, that's been refuted. There is, there's, there's a scene in a bar with a lot of slapstick, and there was a rumour going round that in this scene, David Jason falls through a, an open bar. But apparently, there's other bits of business, but not that particular. Nice and easy, shorty. <laughs> nice and cool, but I mean... Is it? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Have your uh, badge break. So, did you laugh at all? Um... There's a couple... No, I didn't laugh at any point. There's a couple of bits, as I say, of David Jason. Just physical comedy, little looks. I mean, he is brilliant. So I did, you know... And, like, even mm. at this point, it's not a case of... Obviously, Falls and Horses is what puts him on the map. But if you've watched Porridge at this point, you've seen him as uh, Blanco in that, doing this cameo. It was like playing this elderly prisoner. Just remarkable. Uh, oh, makeup. Yeah, yeah, and obviously uh, open all hours yeah. he goes, does before uh, Falls and Horses. But he is, um, yeah, he's a, a brilliant comment. But no one else is quite obvious. I mean, the guy the guy who plays Rubber, I'm sure he's done plenty of other decent work, but the only other thing that I, I knew him from was uh, a Yellow Pages advert from the 80s um, where a boy wants a racing bike and his dad's like... All the time, sort of like trying to convince him he's not going to get a racing bike for his birthday, and he's like, "You don't want that. The saddle's like a razor blade." And eventually, he gets him the bike through Yellow Pages, um, and the kid rides off, but rides off sort of like riding, standing up. And that's like, I was right about that saddle. Then that's the, the punchline. That's where I knew that guy from. Right. But yeah, and that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, you know, you're saying about comparisons with fools and horses, and it doesn't really compare. No, you know. I, Everything about well, it. you just said no one falls through a bar, so <laughs> not even got that. But it is a, a fact of you know people have, have described this as a prototype for fools and horses. But I mean, you can argue about scenarios and elements, but what you can't replicate and what you have to give John Sullivan incredible credit for is the quality of the writing on the show, and yeah. particularly. I'm sure he wasn't influenced by this. <laughs> but the, you know the the genius of Falls Morse is long on the record and I'm sure we said it on episode uh, one is the fact that it's uh, a very funny comedy but it's got such heart to it as well that's the thing that always set it apart for me the fact that you know one of the, the key elements to successful sitcoms um, including this one is the idea of people feeling trapped and wanting to escape and wanting to get out of the situation they're in it's you know um 40 Towers, you know, 99% of great comedies that you care to mention has that element to it. And this does as well. You know, Shorty is desperate to, you know, his girl, she's stuck in a situation. He just, and, like, he wants to get away from the life he's got and start this new life. And in Fools and Horses, there is this thing where you've got the three of them trapped in the flat together. But there's that wonderful scene where Rodney gets married and him and Del are just... Uh, gutted that they're not going to be living together anymore. It's not a case of he wants to sort of, you know, start his new life, but it's not because he hates his brother. He loves his brother. And it's this really poignant thing where, you know, Del Boy gave up his childhood to, to raise Rodney and Rodney realised. And none of it's said. It's all just been sort of like foreshadowed across the episodes. So when you get this moment, 
it's not this sort of thing of you know Del Boy going, I'm glad to get him out of the flat, and really going, I'm glad to have got away from him. They're just sort of you know, and and that's not a common thing in sitcoms. It was written by Terence Frisbee, who's from New Cross, and he wrote "There's a Girl in My Soup," and uh, we saw his son, didn't we? Do that, do you remember? That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Book Slam, talking about uh, in Clapham, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 in the Clapham Grand, talking about bookie room. He's still around, isn't he, Frisbee? Yeah, yeah. yeah it'd be interesting to talk to him. Here's your room, then. Mm. And here's a little something to jolly up you and your fiancé with. You'll be able to manage now, will you? Oh, yes, I hope so. Provided <laughs> <laughs> nature don't call again. <laughs> yeah, well, if it does, I'll just say that I'm out. <laughs> Peep Show is the by now long-running Channel 4 sitcom, started in 2003, about Mark Corrigan, uh, uptight loan manager and is, I suppose, layabout flatmate Jeremy. I'm sure many people would have seen it, but if you haven't, it uses the device of a voiceover of what Jeremy and Mark are thinking at various points, and it's all shot from their point of view, which kind of seems earth-shattering in the first episode, (laughs) but you get used to it incredibly quickly. I've seen all of it. Nine seasons, I think, is it? And uh, Steve's seen the first three I think I might have seen more. I mean, I'll re-watch the first three for this. If we were doing Desert Island TV shows, right, like Desert Island this, Steve, you're looking at me blankly. I I, I understand the context. Yeah. Um, So I don't know how many you get, yeah, but I'll take The Office and Peep Show would probably be the second thing I took. Right. And then maybe I might take Seinfeld. and uh, You might take Seinfeld. I'll take Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) How many have I got? If you've got at least two, then make sure Seinfeld's one of them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peep Show, I might take Seinfeld. Seinfeld uh, I can't wait till we do our next Sopranos. clip show. Because that's going to be just on a loop for 15 minutes. You'd take Seinfeld. I, I'd probably sneak Seinfeld <laughs> in at some point. I'd find a way. It's interesting because I've got a point later on where I'll refer to Seinfeld. Right. Yeah. So stay, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> All you Seinfeld fans out there, I know you're out there. Yeah, I love it. Um, I started watching it um, because the poster probably would have been on season two then, I suppose. Certainly not, and it wasn't the day it started or anything. The poster, which I remember seeing at the end of John Ruskin Street, for those of you uh, wanting locations, <laughs> um, it had a quote from Ricky Gervais on it. I can't remember what he said, but something about how great it was. He described it as the best comedy on television at the British Comedy Awards, I think. I think he went up to collect award or maybe to give them an award but he definitely I remember watching television and him describing it as the the best comedy on television right now and I saw it and agreed it was as if someone had put like a microphone in my own mind like so many of the things that they say both the characters like you identify with Mark often and Jeremy often just so many things that you that you sort of Almost dare not say. Our friend Glenn Holmes, who composed the theme tune for South London Hardcore, once uh, said of the film You, Me and Everyone We Know, the Miranda July film, which I didn't like, but uh, I asked him why he liked it, and he said, it spoke to me about my own life, which I think is ridiculous if you've seen that film. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a great phrase. It's interesting, all the way through that film, I was sort of like, just couldn't stop thinking of Glenn. Why? But I think it's a great phrase, and I use it more. I use it to describe Peep Show more than anything. 
the first three to four seasons especially we'll come on to the later seasons later in the show Steve you uh, I remember you saying you didn't like it and that alarmed me <laughs> was it early in our friendship was it a, a potential uh, breaking point I don't know man I don't think I'd, I'd shift you that quickly not like you with, that, <laughs> with the Seinfeld a few minutes ago <laughs> Well, having said that, I mean, um, in preparation for this episode, you said to me, watch the first three series again. And I was like, okay. So my first port of call was, of course, 4OD. Channel 4's Bespoke. Was it not going to the Saffron Harkhole or Com uh, and Sign Love for Amazon Prime Trial? It's not on there. It's not on there. <laughs> well, it is, but you have to pay extra. So well, no, no, I figured with uh, 4OD, as a license pair, I've already paid towards it. You know, it'll just be there, ready to go. But then, you know, that involves using 4OD. So obviously yeah. I go on there. They're replacing 4OD, by the way. 4OD is really bad. If anyone's... Entirely I mean, Steve's getting to the point that 4OD is... Yeah, on. just like it doesn't work. But they're replacing it with For All. Yeah. I mean, hopefully that one will let me use Chrome with Adblocker. Uh, this one wouldn't. It was like, you can't use it. So I'm like, okay, I'll go in with Internet Explorer. Like, it's 1994. Um, and then it was like, uh, you need to sign up for this one. Right, okay. So I'll sign up for this one. Then, I'm like three minutes in, you know, watching three minutes of adverts, and I'm three minutes into the episode, and it just cuts out and goes, uh, this transmission is not allowed in this country. Of course it is. <laughs> I'm in penge. Do you know uh... what I mean? So, um, at that point. But then I remembered, and this is the thing, uh, I'm not a fan of Peep Show, and yet I own the first three series on DVD. It's essential. Yeah, I guess. For fans guess. and non-fans. And, and the thing is, you know, I don't hate it. I'm just, you know, I just think Seinfeld's better. <laughs> <laughs> is that your Seinfeld reference? You promised. No, there's, there's, there's more. No, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I like it, but like, I don't know, watching it again this week for the show, it felt like a chore. Like I didn't, I wouldn't have chosen to watch it, particularly that densely as well. Yeah, well, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, I'm not a binge watcher. I haven't been. So I, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, that wouldn't appeal to me to do that either. Yeah. But um, yeah, you weren't just like this. Is so funny. Well, the thing I, is, I, I literally can't stop laughing. I found it hard as a binge watch because it's such a dismal view of human existence. Do you know what I mean you mm. can't? You, you once you start chaining three of those together, you're like, oh god, another one of this where it's just like, um, which is you know gets also references my point about only fools and horses, like which sort of you know. Le- mixes the comedy and drama and has its its up bits and down bits. Whereas this, yeah, know, it's, all the humour is extracted bleak, from hu- human yeah. humiliation. And like for me personally, there's how much of that I can take. Where I'm like, I just need to watch something See nice. A lot of yourself in it too much. No, it's not even. I don't know. Um, I don't really identify. I mean, that, that's the other thing as well. Like uh, you know, and this is getting onto the, the body of the show, I suppose. I found and find um, the two main characters. I don't enjoy them as characters. I don't think they're particularly good as characters. Right. I think they're quite broad and clumsy. And I think a lot of the writing is quite broad and clumsy. But what saves it in certain situations is the performances of certain actors. And with those two, I don't think that I'm not a fan of um, what they call Mitchell. I'm not a fan of their work generally. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you there. I think they're both. I would very... be disappointed if they listened. I don't want them to listen. I, I, think, listen I don't like them. You quite good, like them. No, I'm... but no, but the thing is, I don't. I think the stuff they've written is not good. Yeah, and I think like Robert Webb is not good in literally anything else. I think he's bad in everything else. Right, and 
like I they were. Should. I think they were born to play the roles. I mean, you probably wouldn't go that far, but um, like going back to the kind of bleak thing, I think it it perfectly what it perfectly captures for me. Say the episode season two, episode four, where uh, Mark meets this girl in a shoe shop. And you know what? You know what? Rewatching it, some of the plot in stuff is a bit, is a lot of crowbar and stuff in. No, but that's, Let's put I'll allow that in the, the sitcom because. That scene I mean? in the laundrette with the foam. <laughs> but no, but so Mark meets this girl um, in a shoe shop. He ends up going to a university and sort of pretending he's studying history there and studying history a little bit, hanging out with Peter Capaldi, who's the lecturer. And he essentially just spends a weekend there and it's the kind of path unchosen. And then the episode ends with him just basically saying goodbye and like he's not doing the degree he would love to do he's not with a girl who likes him back and stuff and he it ends with the line uh, this is okay this is just a moment that'll haunt me forever I think it, ca- it captures perfectly not just like oh I've wasted my life or oh, I'm wasting my life it's like I'm, I'm, wa- I'm watching myself waste my life I'm watching my life tick away and I'm doing nothing about it and I will continue to do nothing about it that speaks to me about my own life, to quote Glenn Holmes again. But my thing is, I think that's a, um, a you know a, a really rich vein to be mined in comedy. But as you say, the convoluted way they get to that point, for me, makes it a bit less enjoyable. You know, to use you know, and this is where my Seinfeld example is going to come in. Seinfeld, um, I think is a direct precursor to Peep Show in terms of tone and, you know, you know the famous edict from Seinfeld, no lessons, no hugging. That's essentially... Uh, and I think not just Peep Show, a lot of comedy since then. Seinfeld was obviously massively influential in terms of sort of saying comedy doesn't have to be jolly and upbeat and people can... You can have a comedy where people essentially don't like each other, they don't get on. And, you know, there's a similar sort of dynamic between... Uh, a lot of the characters in Seinfeld, you know, there is an idea that they're, they're not happy being friends necessarily. They sort of like being forced together. And that's a similar thing with Peep Show. But for me, with, with Seinfeld, it, and, and this is a thing that Larry David sort of took on into Kirby Enthusiasm, it looks at very sort of discrete social situations and finds the inherent absurdity. Rather than generating the absurdity through a convoluted series of circumstances, it sort of goes, yeah, this is how life is, and this is ridiculous, and it shouldn't be like this, and it means that we're put in some awkward situations. As opposed to, as you say, like the whole thing... The me- I-, I-, I will forgive a sitcom for having a convoluted way to get to a point, but I'll always admire one more if it can do it with an elegance where it's just sort of like, no, this is an existing situation that is ridiculous, and we can get comedy out of that rather than having to generate these layers yeah. and levels. Yeah, I think it does do that personally. Like, right. say, like, um, say, like the Mark and Sophie relationship, particularly in these first three seasons, where it is just like, say the first season, especially where you they're just in the office and like very little is happening, but the stuff that's going through Mark's head and the fact that he's so uh, socially awkward and he is just kind of articulating. Like the kind of daily misery of unrequited love, but you see, like, is like there are bits where obviously they end up they're like, oh, we'll put this person with this person and this person, but a lot of it is just like they're around the flat and Jeremy's like hoovering and like just speaking his mind. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. But and, and to sort of to point out a bit that I really liked, um, 
the final sort of scenes in the last episode of series three, um, I thought was brilliant. And I thought it was a great example of what I would have liked to see more from the show, where um, Mark takes Sophie away to propose to her. But then over the course of the weekend decides he doesn't want to propose to her. Of course, he doesn't love her. But she finds the ring and um, accepts the proposal mm. that he hasn't made. And I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was really... And there's that wonderful scene with Mark and Jez where... Um, it was Mark's implied. Like, it was, <laughs> but Mark goes, implied. Mark goes, well, she accepted. And Jeremy goes, and you accepted the acceptance. <laughs> and that, I, I love that. I thought That's that was brilliant. Isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. That's the I love the fact that this bizarre but entirely plausible and natural chain of events happens. She finds the ring and just immediately, and it, it's great, just sort of like, as I say, shifts across a lot of what is expected in society. Um, you know, there, there's a mechanism whereby he must ask. No, she just skips past all that. And and there is, you know, the, the denouement of the whole thing is uh, Mark sort of going, that's right, I'm going to spend the rest of my life married to someone that I don't love and see out the, the rest of my years due to embarrassment. And I thought that was brilliant. And I, as I say, I, I would like to see more of that. Whereas I think, you know, another thing that bothered me was the swearing. And I've got nothing against swearing in comedy. But oh, just bad swearing. Posh people swearing as well. Just like, it doesn't scan for me at all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No. But I mean, I know what you mean, but I just don't. I, I think I the swearing's hilarious, I think there's some man. really clumsy swears in there. It really, I mean, as I say, I like swearing in comedy. And I think if you look at something like The Thick of It or Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't know, man. The Thick of It. My, le- my least favourite thing about the thick of it is when Peter Capaldi's standing there just swearing at people. I don't find that funny. I'm not sure but I my thing here. is, I don't think he is just swearing. And like, they... they I, I, I know, obviously... No, no, but, but with both of those shows, there isn't, there's a real... They have a swearing consultant on the thick of it. They have someone to work out the sort of metre of the script to make sure that it still literally scans. Um, and similarly, on Kirby Enthusiasm... Um, you know, the the actors, obviously, it's improvised. And Larry David will sort of come up to a and go, drop three of those and put two of those in. They will, they sculpt the swearing. And this didn't feel sculpted to me. This felt like, just like, just drop it in. Oh, I disagree, man. I'll take the... Well, I mean, I haven't listened to the uh, director's commentary, so I don't know. They they, they might have Yeah, no, I mean, of... I'd, uh, yeah, I would take those same two examples of Peep Show and Flick of It and swish it around personally, but... That's the nature of things, isn't it, Steve? <laughs> Opinions. <laughs> I'm going to cut in an audio clip after the credits that does feature swearing. So if you don't like swearing, turn off before then. But if you do like hilarious peep show swearing, stay tuned. <laughs> I've got um, an example of a sitcom that alludes to swearing but doesn't use swearing that I think will wind you up. I didn't choose it because it wind you up, but it just occurred to me as Is an it example. two points of argument back at Chris? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Father Ted. Where there's an and I know you, you don't. Well, well, yeah, I mean, just to, seen... to clarify, I've seen two or three episodes okay. of Father Ted, and uh, I I didn't find it funny at all, and I don't find any of Graham Linehan's work funny. Right, you're not worried about him listening. No, it's just I find it very broad, and uh, you know, it's uh, to me, it's it's closer to Lucky Fella than Peep Show. Yeah, deliberately so. It's it's supposed to be a throwback with the studio audience, one, but. Um, there is an episode where um, they go to the beach for a picnic and there's a lifeguard there who uh, doesn't swear um, and they deliberately have him saying words that are a bit sounding like swear words but not. And uh, it's much funnier than actually swearing, I think, in that example. What did you think about Superhands? I, you know, for all my, my qualms about the show, 
um, Patterson Joseph and Matt King are tremendous. Oh, Patterson Joseph, the so two funny. of them. I mean, the, oh, they both are. Yeah, yeah. In, yeah. If you look at my notes, um, there's it Lattes says it says picks up dash Johnson, and like that episode, you're like, this guy's great. Mm. He is brilliant. Uh, but again, uh, and I'm going to say the same thing about Superhands as well. I think they're brilliant performances, but I think with lesser actors, I think script wise, they're given very standard things to do. Like when Johnson, yeah, yeah Johnson, bit, Johnson's coming through and going, uh, "You're going to be my Badil and Skinner," and you're like, "He's just a middle manager that's saying ridiculous things." And like with Super Hat, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't yeah. think there's good. I, I think his performance li- elevates that. that uh, yeah, certainly, certainly. And and, uh, and the same with Matt King. Uh, Is that Superhands. normal pooing, Mark? Yeah, it, that seems terrible. Like really, really bad. It's just like oh. this. It's just like, it's just so, you know, you're talking about things being like lucky fella. I mean, that is the most, that's the broadest scene of watching any comedy this week. And I've watched uh, no, it's not. David. It's more than the phone, the uh, long Yeah, phone. yeah. What, him <laughs> squitting on the toilet. It's, um, yeah, I, that's the thing. Like, his performance elevates the dialogue there for me. Whereas a lot of it is, you know, and having like light aspect, but it's very... You know, to use one of your favourite phrases, it's low-hanging fruit, isn't it? You know, <laughs> he is essentially, he's a he's a bad management person. In the same way that Superhands is like uh, a sort of degenerate musician, uh, do you know what I mean? Slacker. Yeah, yeah, I do know what you mean. But again, Neither of them are groundbreaking don't... in terms of characters. They're not sort of like, oh, this is, I wonder what this guy's going to do. You've got a fair idea what they're going to do next. And like, I don't know, I think when Johnson first comes along, like... He's a massive breath of fresh air. yeah. But like obviously, when it the longer it goes on, yeah, you know where it, it's going. Yeah, yeah. I served Matt King, who played Superhands once in um, uh, Waterstones, Oxford Street, when I worked there, and that was that was a, one of the biggest thrills I've had serving someone. What did you buy? I can't remember. I was too sort of. Uh, just, I love the show. Did you say it to him? Yeah, did yeah. yeah I I'll always tell people I like their stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, unless you say Russell Howard, I just pretend I don't know who he is. <laughs> but yeah, you don't like his stuff, you're not gonna. Another actor, another actor from Peep Show who came in was um, I don't know his name, but he plays Gog, and he um, Jeremy, go and get me a kebab. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Hello Honda, you know the uh, he plays uh, yeah, a, a, a very standard music business executive. Oh, come on, Steve. Do you know what you think? He's a great character. Let's put oh, Gog in the pantheon. Well, basically, he's, he's in the, it's in the episode where Mark accidentally becomes friend of a racist. Yeah. It's one of my... Again, talking about Desert Island stuff, if we're talking about Desert Island television episodes, I'd probably take that with me. But he was in Waterstones. Look, he was in the film section. And this was before he was in... He's in Kill List a couple of years ago, um, which, is, which was a huge British film. And he's got, like, a decent role in it. So now, maybe he's getting a bit of traction, isn't he? But I went up, I was like... You know, I thought you were good in Peep Show, and it was one of my favourite episodes of television ever. And he just acted like I was some kind of creep. Really? Yeah, it was just, he made me feel so awkward. Like that time I went up to the guy in the South London Hardcore T-shirt on Portland Street. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that's my podcast." He was like, "Right." Was <laughs> 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 medal? Yeah. South London Hardcore Four T-shirts. I won't be coming up to you if you're wearing one. He's put me off a life. That guy. The thing is, like, even their ladies' ones are available as well, so maybe. Even post kill list, you should be able to go up to that guy, and he's not, you know, Terence Stamp, is he? <laughs> no, not. I don't think it was. <laughs> he's not. No, he's not. Terence Stamp. Well. So, 
Like, you're not a massive fan, Steve, so I'll probably just say this for the listeners rather than discuss it with you. But, uh, yeah, so it goes on for, like, nine seasons. And for me, there's no greater example than Peep Show for a show that has an arc. Jumping the Shark, you know, people are familiar with the phrase Jumping the Shark when uh, in Happy Days, the Fonz, there's an episode where he's wearing a leather jacket and a pair of Speedos on a jet ski and jumps over a shark. Hence the phrase, jump in the shark. I thought he was on the motorbike. Uh, I thought he was on the motorbike and the shark's in the back. I've never seen it. I'm wondering if I've seen it. I've just made that up in my mind. But anyway, that you... You're thinking a... of the Punisher on a jet ski. That's what you're <laughs> getting confused about. Kiss that baby goodbye. <laughs> yeah, so when, when a TV show... Um, you know, say like uh, the episode of The Simpsons where um, it turns out that Principal Skinner is actually a different guy who swapped identities in Vietnam. <laughs> that, is, that is atrocious. And you're like, yeah, yeah. and it's, you can see it's a signal for where The Simpsons uh, went downhill. It jumped the shark. Am I, does anyone not know this? There will be people listening who don't know, definitely. <laughs> no, but it's a great phrase. And it's it's well brilliant. worth yeah, explaining. Yeah. Now, say with Peep Show, you know, I don't go so far as say it jumped the shark, yeah, but... Sir, but this is the point I was trying to make, and I'm waffling on now. But from season one to the end of season four, even though I think season four is weaker, and like there's not enough super hands in it, and like there's they cut out super hands. Why would you? It just yeah, he just he's not in it as much, and then he turns up in like the final episode, but he's just is like plenty of Johnson? off his face. Uh, yeah, there's Johnson, but like you know, Big Sue's. Yeah, like Johnson sort of, sort of tries to pimp her. Once I want Big Sue's another one, and it just like posh airhead. I mean, it's not a great character, is it? It's oh, not. She's beautiful though, isn't she? Yeah, gorgeous. But that's not my point. Royalty now, isn't she? Is she? Yeah, she married a royal person. In real life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's her uh, <laughs> stepsister is Claudia Winkleman. Right, yeah. that makes sense. Because of names. So yeah, season four, not as good. But it ends with Mark and Sophie's wedding. That's just kind of a spoiler, but it's not a full spoiler. And there's a very definite arc there. Like season one, you know, boy likes girl. And then season two, he kind of gets her a bit. And then season three, he's kind of... Uh... See, I would have stopped it at the end of season three. Just that moment yeah, of yeah, like... Yeah, there is a... There is... Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I will spend the rest of my mm. life doing this for the sake of But there's enough in season four. I haven't watched yeah, it. Yeah, and so. you don't like it anyway, but... There's <laughs> enough in season four that you kind of... You go, okay, this is the kind of conclusion to it. And the way season four ends... You're like, yeah, this is the end. Right. But the show just keeps going. What and, like, they... there's, like, a new female love interest. And, like, Sophie kind of drifts away at one point. Like, this is a big spoiler. But, like, Sophie has a baby. And, like, is it Mark's or is it Jeff's? Or is right. it Jeremy? Is it Jeremy? Is that a possibility? But, like, this guy Gerard's Johnson. in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, despite... Also, on top of that, it's just... It becomes quite weak overall like there's some uh, there's some brilliant stuff in it there's some really good episodes but mostly you're like watching something it's just like a shadow of its former self but more than anything it it's just like the arc is over and obviously when you watch films like it's all someone sat there and written a film and you can see it starts somewhere and it ends somewhere else and there was a journey in between whereas with tv shows it's just like, right, we're doing this now, we're doing this now, we're doing this now. Oh, we've been cancelled. Or, oh, we've got two more <laughs> seasons, we better stretch it out, or whatever. And there's a less definite arc. But with Peep Show, it's just like, the idea of having an arc just goes out the window. But it kind of occurred to me that maybe it kind of plays into the fact that Peep Show is such a, I mean, you don't agree, but a reflection of 
what it's like to be. I love that you're waiting for me to jump at any point. I'm gonna let you make your point. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not a monster. <laughs> no, no, it's no good. Peep show to me is what it's like to be um, a man in 21st century Britain. And in in a way, life don't have an arc, does it? It just goes on and on and on and on. And then this person drifts out and this person comes in. And I don't know, man, it kind of gave me a bit of comfort to the fact that it just definitely should have ended at the end of season four or season three. I thought that's what you were saying, like, from season four onwards, they embrace the uh, ennui of everyday life and go, let's just have people drift in and drift out. That's what happens in No, nah, there's a lot of people blowing each other. Yeah. The bad thing. Can we address the elephant in the room? Uh, the format. The format uh, is okay. I mean, it's gimmicky in it. They don't really use it to great effect. Yeah, think. yeah, they do, they do. Go on, go on. What's the elephant in the room then? Croydon. Croydon. Yeah. Yeah, it's... The opening credits are shot in Crouch End. Yeah, but in season... You'll like this though, Steve. Right. The opening credits are shot in South End. It's just Mark and Jeremy. Crouch End. What did I say? South End. That's not that Very different places. Um, Yeah, it sets up the the idea of them... Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could do it on Croydon High Street. When they moved to high definition, they did do it in Croydon High Street. Oh, good. So that's how rooted in the place it was. That they... The season five But I don't... As a show... You know, well, this is a yeah. It's a kind of odd mix because it's shot. Um, the exteriors for their flat are Apollo House Zodiac Court in Croydon. Yeah, and you get a shot of that all the time. Yeah, and the first two seasons were shot in the flat. Yeah, which is just not usual at all. But I guess because they're using tiny little cameras stuck on people's heads most of the time. And there's bits and pieces like the church in where they have Rainbow Rhythms is in Norbury. Yeah, the Oval Tavern is in Croydon. Yeah, JLB Finance is shot out, um, shot outside uh, Canterbury House in Sydenham Road. Um, other other bits and bobs pop up here and there. There's a couple of bits where they even make references, but my, my do they most, not in no in the later seasons? Right, yeah, I was going to say there's a reference to Crystal Palace at one point. Right, because that's the thing that really I don't know it would have been nicer to get. I don't know, I don't really... think it's necessary, man. Not I mean, necessary, we're looking but... for it, aren't we? Yeah, but, I suppose, um... I suppose. Yeah, you don't need it, do you? I did like um, the theme tune. And then they changed it. Did they? Well, that season two is different, isn't it? Oh, no, that's the theme, the, the theme tune I, I like. I'm not sick, but yeah. I'm not well. I bought um, Where Have All The Merrymakers Gone when it came out in like 1998. And Who's I bought uh, Harvey Danger. Um, and I bought Flagpole Sitter, the single at the time. Probably worth loads now, isn't it? Because it's the theme tune to... Uh, probably worth loads. Probably worth loads. Retire off that. But I would say, if you do enjoy that song, um, have a look on YouTube for another song by Harvey Danger called Carlotta Valdez, which is a song essentially about the film Vertigo. It's great. Right. Yeah, nice bit of like um, power pop all about a Hitchcock film. See, he's not Lennon. But she is Yoko. I'm Lennon, but Yoko has gone off with Paul. I mean, imagine that. That's the scenario we're talking. So, as we said before, you can hear us talking about other stuff on sitcoms in the opening episode of Stuff on Hardcore. In episode seven, we talked about 15 Stories High, the Sean Locke show shot just next to Kennet and Park Extension. Could be quite interesting for people to listen to episode one and this just to get a contrast. I, I don't remember. Us being particularly... Well, it's the only episode with, like, an audio malfunction, I think. <laughs> and I was going to say, Steve, before you uh, interrupted, 
we also talked about the, in the Tooting episode, Citizen Smith. So plenty of sitcom talk. More coming up as well in a few months' time. You can tweet us at SLHC. Be curious to see uh, kind of what percentage of the listeners are with me and what are with you. 98%. 98%. Isn't it? That's fine. The invisible 98%. I'm with the 2% taking Seinfeld to the island. <laughs> Well, you can take two, innit? You can take one of one show, Yeah, man. you said The Office. Desert Island TV shows. You said The Office and uh, Peep Show. More than two, innit? Six or eight. Oh, right. Simpsons. Eight, I'll probably take a Peep Show. <laughs> <laughs> Often I like to kick things off with a bit of word association. It's kind of a fun Is way. Is it therapy? Not really, no. I'll just say a word, and you tell me the very first thing that pops into your mind. He's trying to therapise me. OK, let's start with an obvious one. Work. Snake pit. Snake charmer. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Money. Everything. Not everything. Children. Blind. Uh, short. Father. Fuhrer. Football. Mother. Sophie. Fuck. No, no not fuck. Look, Mark... I really get the feeling you're resisting something here. Can I change any of those? What score did I get? It it wasn't good, was it? You don't get a score in word association. Right, sure you don't.